1: Well, hello everybody. I'm Philip Russell and I am here at Workplace Strategies 2023 in San Diego, joined by my friend, Tim Reed from our San Francisco office. Hi, Tim.
2: Howdy, how's it going today, Philip?
1: Good. So we are here, we just finished our session. We did our session on neurodiversity at work, innovative practices for integrating uniquely talented individuals. Tim, let's talk. I'm gonna have a conversation with you. It was really a great program let's talk about our session and see if we can share a few uh, takeaways uh, from what we did today. Let's start with what is neurodiversity? I mean, is that just autism and ADHD? What is that?
2: So, you know, there's not a single definition of neurodiversity. But if I was to sort of give one generally that can form the basis of our discussion today, it's the idea that neurological differences like autism, ADHD, OCD, dyslexia, are the result of normal, natural variation in the human genome. It's important to keep in mind that there is sort of this whole neurodiversity advocacy movement that's out there, and this movement sort of rejects the idea that certain neurological conditions are ailments, diseases, or injuries that should be cured or
1: treated. Well, let me ask you this. Let's back up a second and take more of a context question here. Why is this important? Is this just a fringe issue? Or why why should employers be interested in neurodiversity and workers that might be neurodiverse either on the autism spectrum, ADHD, or the other conditions that might fit? Why should an employer be interested in this issue at all?
2: Something employers should keep in mind with respect to neurodiversity is that neurodiverse individuals individuals who have autism, for example, their brains may work in such a unique way that it can sort of benefit employers and provide a competitive advantage to to businesses, to companies, and really put them in a position to kind of have a leg up on their competitors. Um, So There's that piece of it. There's the piece of it where these companies can be taking advantage of the the unique viewpoints, the unique skill sets that neurodiverse employees bring to the table. There's also the piece of it where neurodiverse conditions probably, in many cases, meet the definition of being a disability under the ADA. Um, so, employers need to be conscientious of sort of accommodation issues and adjustments in the workplace that need to be made for neurodivergent individuals.
1: Yeah, and so I will, I'm going to add to that as well, and great points there, Tim, but it's also the numbers. When you look at the diagnosis, and I'll just for right now focus on autism, when, you know, according to the CDC, one in 42 boys are autistic or on the spectrum, and one in 189 girls, and I even think those stats have been updated to even be higher, be greater. If you think about that from a workplace perspective and extrapolate that out over the next 10 years, there are more and more workers on the spectrum that'll be either entering or trying to enter the workforce or may already be there. And I think it's something that, I think you're right. I think we've seen examples of some very large, high-profile employers that have embraced this as an opportunity, not an obstacle, to really improve productivity to improve, uh, you know, some efficiencies and effectiveness in their operations and to, and to make a buck to be profitable. This isn't a problem they're looking to avoid, but it's an opportunity to seize. Yeah,
2: agreed. And I think, um, you know, to take a step back at the numbers, I think the... the the data I've seen, it's been estimated that one in seven people are neurodiverse. So that's 14%. That's more than one in 10. That's that's a significant amount of the population. And like you're saying, as as time goes on and people become more sensitive to these conditions, more willing to be diagnosed or, or you know, acknowledge that they may be potentially neurodiverse because as a society, we're sort of destigmatizing those conditions. Um, we're going to see, like you're saying, more people... are neurodiverse sort of enter the workforce, Uh, but something to keep in mind when it comes to that is that if we are going to take advantage of these folks with their unique skill sets, unique way of working, uh, looking at the world, amazing brains that can process things in ways that uh, neurotypical people cannot process things. Um, you know, employers are going to have to make adjustments from the beginning of, of, of the process. When you're looking to sort of bring folks on board, you may need to take a, 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 a different look at how you're uh, treating the interview process, how you're treating the recruiting process and sort of ensure that you're being conscientious and sensitive to the needs of neurodivergent individuals so that you can take advantage of, of their, their unique talents.
1: Well, I think you did a good job in our in our session, by the way, of going over a, a, a list of some of the types of neurodiverse conditions. We talked about autism already, and then there are some others. I'll, I'll just go down a few of these uh, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, dyscalculia, dyslexia, dyspraxia, epilepsy. I should have had you pronounce these words, by the way. <laughs> For dyscalculia. Exactly. I,
2: I have it uh, written phonetically on my notes so that I can ah, pronounce it. Smart, smart move. <laughs>
1: Uh, obsessive compulsive disorder OCD and then tourette syndrome or just some other things and and i guess maybe what what are what are things that are not neurodiverse that might sometimes get confused or lumped into the broader category sure
2: so i think there is some conflation in in people's brains or how they think about neurodiverse conditions and mental illnesses. So, um, you know, we've talked about neurodiverse conditions such as autism, ADHD. There are also sort of mental illnesses that are out there, schizophrenia, depression, bipolar disorder. When looking at those types of, of conditions, it's important to keep in mind that neurodiverse conditions are genetic, and in contrast, mental illnesses may have a genetic component, um, but they can also be triggered by life circumstances and by trauma. Um, something else to keep in mind is that mental illnesses often require uh, medical intervention, while you know many neurodiversity advocates believe that neurodiverse conditions are not illnesses, they're not sicknesses, they're not diseases that need to be treated. I, I don't have the first-hand experience that you have. W- With respect to sort of living in with a a neurodivergent family member, but my mom um, is a paranoid schizophrenic, so I grew up in a household where um, that was kind of part of my daily life, and it was it it was abundantly clear that (laughs) she needed some sort of medical treatment to manage her condition. And in contrast, if you have someone with autism, for example, that, that that's not something that needs to be treated or cured, obviously. Um, from a medical perspective obviously you know some adjustments may need to be made within the workplace at school you know in society writ large but um, we're not looking to treat autism uh, in the same way medically that we would treat schizophrenia. Another difference is that mental illnesses are sort of intermittent, periodic. They may come or go depending on the circumstances. Somebody who experiences depression may, you know, have strong bouts of depression that are sort of very intense for a, for a short period of time, and they may... Um, sort of uh, wax and wane in contrast to someone who is autistic or someone who is dyslexic and their brain is sort of wired that way and that's just how they live their life move through the world it's not something that's intermittent and then the last point I want to make with respect to mental illness and and neurodivergent conditions is that even though there are some differences there one thing to keep in mind is that there is a connection and that it has been shown that individuals who are neurodivergent have higher rates of certain types of mental illnesses, uh, depression, anxiety, for example. Uh, and it is thought that a reason for that is the sort of way that certain neurodivergent conditions are, are stigmatized by society. And I think we're taking steps to kind of make them more acceptable. Uh, but unfortunately, there, is, there may be this stigmatism out there.
1: Got it. And and thank you so much, Tim, for sharing your personal story there. I think that, you know, that's something that we 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 share that we have. Both of us have personal stories that we bring to uh, that help inform our perspective on this issue. And and so my story, which uh, I was able to share today and was excited to be able to do that this morning with uh, with our friends here at Workplace Strategies 2023, is that uh, my son, my uh, son, Gavin, is 15 years old and he's on the spectrum and uh, my uh, wife and I teamed up with a woman named Cher Harris in Clearwater and we've started a school a few years ago called Autism Inspired Academy so I have learned a lot because 10 years ago I did not know what autism was I meant. Gavin's mother. Gavin became, you know, my boy, and he calls me Phil Dad, and uh, so that's. Uh, oh, and sometimes Captain Phil, which is actually my favorite title. So, forget lawyer, forget. It. I mean, I'm, I'm Captain <laughs> Phil, and if Gavin wants something, he calls me Captain Phil. It works. <laughs> um, but he, uh, you know, he's he's a higher needs guy. He's going to need lifetime support, and and that's going to include some occupational and residential support. You know, in addition to what we're doing now. And it's been an amazing journey. Um, it has really been something that. To me, I'm going through right now a sort of juxtaposition of of a career of almost three decades of advising and representing employers in workplace legal matters, uh, and then the experience of being Phil Dad and helping start this school, and I see these two coming together, and that's why I get so interested and passionate about this issue is to help employers begin to think differently about those who think differently and to begin to really look at this as an opportunity, uh, not an obstacle. So here's just a few things I've learned living in, I call it living in Gavin's world. Um, just a few things I've learned is, you know, we, we use different some different terminology to be sure. And as I shared this morning, I don't want to get too hung up on, on the terms and the words because it's it's, I think sometimes there's too much of an emphasis of the the, uh, the form over the substance. And so if someone refers to you know Gavin as an autistic child or a child with autism, some would say there's a difference in the references. The folks that live in Gavin's world, I'm more interested in the substance of it than, right. than the form. So I don't take, to, to, uh, take those things to heart too much. But we do use some different words. One of them is we don't use good and bad behaviors. We talk about expected and unexpected behaviors, and that's part of helping them learn things right. that we ordinarily, and I say we meaning referencing, typically developing, you know, humans, typically developing people, we learn from social cues a lot more than uh, than Gavin and, and his friends that are on the spectrum do. And we I see that in the school. I have to avoid things like unfortunately, Sarcasm, exaggerations, and hyperbole, which are three of my greatest tools for having fun and making fun of situations, because Gavin just doesn't get it. Right. Um, and I think that's, again, sort of a, a, a thing that you would see with workers on the spectrum. Concrete directions, we have to be very clear whenever we are asking Gavin to do something. It's not just simply take the garbage out and let him accomplish the task and make decisions along the way for the subtasks. We have to give him very concrete directions as to how to go about doing that. And sometimes there are even pictures to go along with each step. This is really, I think, from an employer perspective, you know, and again, I'm an employer's advocate and and advisor and, you know, and I think that as we, if you're an employer and you're thinking about your workplace and you're anticipating this wave uh, coming forward, I think there are some competitive advantages that could be had. And we've seen that with some companies that have embraced the opportunity here, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. There have been several companies that have implemented autism at work programs and experienced significant success providing jobs to individuals in a broad range of roles not simply sort of redundant work or math related work or work involving spreadsheets or recogni- recognizing patterns i guess not the type of work that you might immediately think about when you think about hiring somebody who has a neurodiverse condition the the types of roles that that have been filled through these autism at work programs include sort of hr related roles uh, consulting roles so you're seeing folks who are neurodiverse contribute to the workplace by sort of undertaking a broad range of, of jobs and, and job responsibilities. Um, with respect to the competitive advantage piece in researching and looking into neurodiversity-related issues and how they impact the workplace, um, you know I've come across numerous papers, numerous articles Uh, discussing sort of the competitive advantage that employers can gain by embracing neurodivergence within their workplaces. Uh, For example, one paper noted that individuals with ADHD outperform the general population in divergent thinking, uh, meaning that they have the ability to rapidly generate solutions to a problem, including perhaps viable or even exceptional solutions that might have been screened out by other individuals. So, you know, I'm thinking about a problem, Philip's thinking about a problem, there may be something going on in our brains where we are just automatically taking certain options off the table. Like, that's that's how our brains work, that's what we're going to do. In contrast, individuals with ADHD have this enhanced creativity and they may come up with ideas that we're not even thinking about because they're thinking outside the box. And I know that's like a popular like catchphrase. They're thinking outside the box in a way that A lot of folks who are neurotypical may not even have the ability to just because of how our brains work and what the differences are.
1: Well, sometimes I will give you an example there. Sometimes we typically developing individuals care who came up with an idea or who is championing a project or task or or something in the workplace. And we the who matters a lot. And I think that is and again, I hate to be doing too much of a generalization here with all folks on the spectrum, but I think that is typically not what you would expect with folks on the spectrum, that they, they're more focused on the idea and the task and the outcome as opposed to the who, because again, that's one of the areas typical of someone on the spectrum is the social awareness is not quite there. Let's talk about some things like recruiting, um, interviewing, onboarding. Let's talk about that process, because as this wave comes... There, you know, let's anticipate that employers are considering, well, if I want to consider, you know, more uh, workers on the spectrum, how does that process of recruiting and the interview process, the application process, how might that need to be adjusted?
2: I think there are some, some key things to think about there. One is to consider the skills for which you're hiring. So if you're looking for someone to fill a particular role, Um, think about whether or not that individual needs to be well-rounded or if you just need a specialist who can sort of focus on a particular type of task, on a particular type of role. One thing to keep in mind during the interview process is that we culturally value and maybe overvalue things like handshakes and eye contact and we want a job candidate who comes in and sort of owns the room but we all know there have been situations where someone is an excellent interview they step into the job however and they're just not good at it so interviews are not necessarily a a, the best predictor always of sort of how someone's going to perform in a job role Um, and that may be particularly true when it comes to someone who's neurodivergent for example someone who is Um, autistic may be uncomfortable with making eye contact they may become uncomfortable with physical contact so they might not shake your hand and if you are going to ding someone for those things and hold that against them then you're losing out on the opportunity to hire someone who can really contribute to your workplace to your team and and bring value to the table
1: or they may bring with them someone to the interview so one thing if you think about it from that perspective if the typical intake is for an online application, because it's all online these days, right? So you do an online application, schedule the interview, you either come in or you do a Zoom 20-minute interview. If that's your typical process now, what may be different is there there perhaps might be someone who helps the worker, the applicant, with the application, and maybe participates in the interview. And there are actually some nonprofits out there starting up all all around the country that will help applicants and employers come together in a way that allows the assessment to take place that might be very different than the, the typical interview process. Right,
2: and that's pretty analogous to sort of a, a job coach or a job buddy um, that someone might have when they're actually um, employed in the position. You have someone accompanying uh, someone who's neurodivergent and sort of talking them through uh, issues that arise during the work day. Um, and within the workplace, and these these job buddies have been recognized by the job accommodations network, for example, as being a highly effective um, accommodation for individuals who are neurodivergent, particularly individuals with autism.
1: So now let's take our let's turn our attention to what whenever they get the job. So in the workplace itself, there might need to be some reasonable accommodations and let's talk about the law briefly and we only got a few minutes here, so we'll we'll cover this briefly and, and move on, but I think that it's important to note the Americans with Disabilities Act likely would consider most uh, most of these conditions we've discussed today as being a disability under the law that would then have a, a legal requirement of providing a reasonable accommodation for a worker that, you know of course, still must be able to perform the job, but in order to help the employee perform the job, there might need to be some, some changes. So it could be environmental changes, like allowing the employee to wear headphones, um, not requiring the eye contact as much. There could be some spatial layout changes in the workplace. Maybe a quieter environment or maybe a separate you know, closed door office space to work in. There could be some break room, maybe laid out a little differently to provide a little more calmer space. Uh, for uh, for that and some other changes in the workplace as well.
2: Yeah, agreed. And I think the important thing, like, the, you know, obviously every individual, if you're in a situation, you're an employer where you're looking at accommodations for, for a particular individual, it needs to be uh, individualized and you need to look at that particular individual's <laughs> circumstances. That said, all of that speaks to a general approach that organizations should consider taking when it comes to addressing the needs of neurodiverse employees within the workplace, and that general approach is such that uh, you are just flexible with respect to workspaces, with respect to communication, um, with respect to how you manage employees, how you supervise them, how you provide instructions, and the part that gets me, or or that, that, you know, whenever I'm talking about these best practices for individuals or are neurodiverse, it, it always comes to mind for me that like the, these are probably things that we should generally be doing in the workplace anyway as far as how we approach managing folks, how we treat folks, how we allow for flexibility to the extent possible. This idea of neurodiversity is emerging and it's new to a lot of people and it may seem kind of overwhelming if you're an employer and you're being confronted for the first time uh, with having to accommodate, for example, an autistic employee. But at the end of the day, I think in most cases, the things that you would need to do are relatively modest and can be done easily.
1: Tim, I actually think you just did a great job of summarizing our entire program this morning in that. Um, I'll just give, offer a final comment here is to emphasize what you just said, which is it requires flexibility. It requires opening uh, your mind and, as I said earlier, thinking differently about those who think differently. You know, Temple Grandin, who's you know, very famous with her you know, her own autism and advocacy, you know, has, has often said that, you know, it's just a matter, I think differently. It's like a PC versus a Mac. There's still thinking going on. It's right. just different. The wires are, are different. And those employers, I think, that are able to look at this situation and embrace it as an opportunity and not an obstacle, I think we'll. Uh, we, I think, and over time, we'll be pleased. But there's going to be an investment. I think, you know, this career I've had of trying to protect employers, uh, to use that phrase, I guess, is is. I think about it from this perspective on this issue: is the protection here is is the furtherance of education. It is an increased awareness. It is an understanding level that maybe they haven't experienced before. So, uh, folks, thank you so much for listening today. And those of you that were with us uh, live in San Diego for Workplace Strategies 2023. We hope to see you live and in person at Workplace Strategies 2024. Tim, my friend, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.